Well, good morning, and uh, happy it's happy Mother's Day to the moms that are here. Hoorah! That's when you all cheer. Yeah, yeah. We love our moms. I love my moms. <laughs> well, this morning, um, this morning's going to be different, different than normal. Um, not because of Mother's Day. Uh, we've been in this series uh, that we've entitled "Be." And in the series, we've been talking about who God's uniquely created us to be uh, and how he's called us to begin to live out of that. And this week, the plan was to talk about mission. We were going to talk about God's mission on this earth and our call to be a part of that mission. And it was going to be awesome. And it was going to change your life. It's going to be the best sermon you ever heard. You're going to lose 10 pounds. It's going to be amazing. But... uh, but Thursday, we decided to, to throw it all out and to change the plan. And um, we've been connecting things to our core values, these, these, this idea of be, and, and uh, connecting to the core values, the things that drive us as a church, that shape us as a, as a family, as a community. And one of those core values is that structure must always submit to spirit. Structure must always submit to spirit. And just briefly explain what that means. Are there certain things about us, because we're a church, because we're an organization that have the makings of being an institution, right? We're a legal 501c3, right? We can accept tax-deductible donations. We've got a board of directors. We've got an annual budget. A lot of things that we have in common with every other 501c3 on the face of the earth and a lot of businesses as well. And so there's certain things that have the makings of an institution when it comes to being a church, being an organization, but there's one thing that sets us apart as a people, as followers of Christ, from everybody else and every other organization, and that's that we are a people of the Spirit. Right? That we have, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, God's Spirit, we're told, actually resides in you. And it's God's Spirit that convicts you. You know, when you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing and you just feel like crap and nobody had to tell you, right? That's often God stirring within you. Um, that God, it's God's spirit that encourages us, uh, that gives us courage in certain moments, um, that affirms things that are true inside of us, that leads us, and that guides us. And, and so this creates a bit of a, a friction when it comes to being an organization. And that's that God doesn't always give us, like, the full plan. You know, throughout the Bible, we find, like, over and over and over that God loves to say, okay, here's the next step, and here's the next step, and here's the next step. So plans that are set in stone become really problematic. Because opportunities arise, circumstances change, needs come up, uh, and the plans need to change. And so for us, in saying that we are, that structure must always must submit to spirit, what we're saying is that we have a plan, we move forward in, with intentionality, and we're organized. At least we're working on getting there. Um, and as we grow, we're going to need to be more and more organized, but plans need to be able to change uh, as God moves and as circumstances change. And so this morning is one of those mornings. And one of the things that I've noticed that, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks, last few weeks really, is that there's a lot of people in the Mosaic family that are hurting deeply right now. And even in bringing this out in the open, just last night alone and this morning alone, the stories of heartache and pain uh, are pretty overwhelming. Like I, I don't know if it's just when it rains it pours, you know, um, but there's a lot going on and a lot of things that have happened, some of which have just a lot of lives here. Um, and one of those things is um, it happened to a couple this, just this week in our Mosaic family. And if you're here for our last bapti- baptism service, there's a couple 
uh, they were here. There's a guy that we baptized named uh, Darren, and he was a guy that walked from the city mission and helped us set up and asked to be baptized that morning. And, and so he, he shared his story, and we baptized him in the place with nuts, and he pumped his fist in the air. And I mean, definitely one of the coolest moments in the, our history, our short history as a church family. Um, and since then, they've become a big part of the Mosaic family and got connected in a life group and relationally are connecting with a lot of people here. Um, but this last week, they were, they were expecting uh, a little girl here in about 11 weeks. And uh, noticed last weekend that she stopped responding to Darren's voice. They weren't feeling her move anymore. Uh, and so they went into the hospital, and there wasn't a heartbeat. And so on Tuesday morning, um, they delivered a beautiful baby girl. And I had the chance to, to be with, their, with them there in the hospital and to hold this perfect, beautiful little girl and to just process through that with them. And, and you know, you just sit there and you're, you're holding this little girl and you're just waiting for her to open her eyes and to take a breath. And, and ever since then, um, you know, it just kind of took the wind out of my sails and I know it's affected a lot of people here because uh, we care deeply for Darren and for Jamie. And there's been a lot of that going on. And for some of the people in this room, like, you've been deeply affected by that specifically. For some of you, you don't know Darren and Jamie, but you know that pain all too well. And some of you are walking through that right now. And so as the week continued and as we continued to talk as a team, like, it just became clearer and clearer, and clearer that talking about mission was not going to cut it. You know, that it was going to be, it just felt empty and disobedient. Uh, to pretend like nothing's going on. And so we decided that we're going to dive into this. And, and we hadn't planned on talking about suffering and talking about pain, but we just feel like, feel like we have to. And so this morning, here's what I'm hoping. Here's our prayer for you um, and for us as a community, is that this morning as we kind of bring this idea of pain and suffering and faith out into the open, that this would be a time to slow down um, to assess where you're at, uh, to ask really how you're feeling, what's going on in here, perhaps what's been going on here over the last 12 months, maybe something you buried and never really dealt with, and to invite God into that. Um, I want to begin by reading a, a passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And this is, this is what it says beginning in verse 1. It says that there is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear, a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This passage talks about the, the truth, the reality that uh, there is a season for everything. There's a season for everything. And in the natural world, right, in what we can taste and see, uh, it's really obvious. Really obvious, right? The, the, mer the earth moves in these rhythms of season. 
Right? We see light and dark, work and play, uh, cold, hot, right? reap, sow, fruitfulness, and barrenness. But Ecclesiastes also talks about a different kind of season as well. And it's this season of life. It's a season of the soul. And when it comes to the seasons that we can observe and stuff, I think we're generally prepared to deal with that, right? When winter's coming, like, I change a lot of the things that I do. I drain my sprinklers. I stop mowing the lawn. I put my mesh tank tops away because I wear lots of those. <laughs> I, put, uh, I put shorts away. I take out boots and jackets. And, you know, we adapt our life, adapt my life, my, my rhythm, my habits to change with the seasons. But when it comes to spiritual seasons, not so much. I think that very few of us have ways of adapting our spiritual rhythms, uh, the way that we, we pray, the way that we listen to God, the way that we worship, to adapt to these, these different seasons of the soul, especially winter. Especially winter. Right? Winter is the season that's bleak and it's barren. There's more nighttime than day. Right? Everything is dead, or at least it appears so. It can be relentless and it often feels like it's never going to end. And we rarely know how to handle it. And, and I have to confess, I think I've been a part of the problem. Uh, because in this circle, in this kind of a community, right, there's, we're, we're, we tend to be pretty positive. Or at least I like to think that we are. Right? That we tend to try to speak to the life of people and, and talk about the life that God offers. But when you're in that season of winter of the soul, this barrenness, like this kind of, this just feels like happy, clappy Christianity. And it feels so empty and so meaningless. And so for many of us, I think we're ill-equipped to even talk about this. When we're going through it, or even when somebody we know is going through it. We see it, they see it, we know it, but we don't know how to have a conversation. What happens oftentimes is those who are going through it feel guilty. Like there's something wrong with them. Because they don't feel close to God. They don't feel very good at all. Because when it comes down to it, I don't think... Just don't think we're okay with not being okay. And I think that needs to change. Because what ends up happening is we speed up through these seasons. We just try to get through them. Rather than slowing down. Rather than listening, being intentional, being present, and embracing it, we just throw ourselves into more activity, more things. And I'm the worst at this. If you're familiar with StrengthsFinder, like three of my top five strengths are maximizer, competition, achiever. I don't sit still. I don't do it well. And when things are bad, I just throw myself into more busyness. Right, just this December is a great example. This December was one of the hardest I can remember in our family. Right, there was a lot of tears in our house. Right, a profound sense of loss and, and grieving. And I didn't slow down. Right, I got busier. I just threw myself into my work, into my ministry. Right, I did the same thing when I was a teenager. And one of my, one of my best friends um, took his life, put a gun to his head, and, and killed himself. And for years, like, I wouldn't even talk about it. I wouldn't deal with it. I, I just got busier. I just threw myself in more activity. Like, I didn't want to sit in the winter. I just want to put my head down and hope it would go away as quickly as possible. And it was years before I even allowed myself to mourn and to grieve and to admit that that was one of the worst things I've ever experienced. Right? Some of us just get busier. Others of us, we just try to numb ourselves. Right? We, instead of checking in and being present, we just check out. This means we watch more TV, 
Right? We spend more time on Netflix, more time on video games. Right? We distract ourselves, we inebriate ourselves, we numb ourselves. Anything but deal with what we're actually going through. And the result is that we don't really know, I think many of us, how to process through grieving, how to deal with pain and disappointment and suffering in a healthy way. And even worse, we miss what God, I think, wants to do through these seasons. And so here's our hope, here's our prayer. Is that this morning, slow down and get honest. That we would just together admit and come to grips with the reality that winter is inevitable for all of us. Right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there, you've done that. Almost all of you will go there sometime, perhaps sometime soon. Right, last week we talked about fruitfulness and this idea that God has created us to be fruitful. He's called us to be fruitful. But even this idea of fruitfulness implies that there are seasons. Right? There are seasons of fruitfulness and there are seasons of barrenness. And so this morning's going to be different. Um, rather than, you know, three songs and the message and one song and you're out of here, uh, we're going to slow down. We're going to stop. We're going to carve out some space for reflection. Um, and our, my hope, my prayer is that as we do this, that some of us would just enter into the pain of where we're at and get honest about it and invite God into that. So what we're going to do, a band, worship band, if you guys would come on up. Here's what this is going to look like. Um, they're going to come up. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to put a, a passage of Scripture up on the screen. They're going to jam for a little bit. Um, and I want to encourage you to, to meditate on that, that, that this passage of Scripture we're, we're putting up would become kind of the cry of our communal heart as a community. And, and it's this passage of Scripture, uh, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And what we're going to do is we'll sing together. Uh, we'll sit down, watch a short video, and I'm going to come back up. Sound good? All right. So if you would, just go ahead, stand, and uh, we'll enter into this time together as a community.
I love and I hate that video for a lot of different reasons. I hate the story. I hate the pain. I hate this notion that there's ever justified infidelity. I hate the suffering that it depicts, this disconnection. But what this video does, what it does display with just heart-wrenching clarity is this barrenness of winter and the pain and the suffering that is inevitably involved. There's a passage of Scripture that also conveys this with stunning clarity. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is it doesn't shield us from the pain that is inevitably involved in the human experience, even in following Jesus. There's no empty promises, but it speaks candidly about these things. And one of the passages of Scripture that does this so well is Psalm 88. Psalm 88, I'm going to read it for you beginning in verse 1. And just listen to what's going on in the life of the psalmist. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. 
In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and have been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me from me, my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Uh, one scholar, Walter Brugman, he uh, calls this an embarrassment to conventional faith, this passage. He goes on to ask, what is a verse or a passage like this doing in the Bible? Because it is so far from happy, clappy Christianity. Right? It is so far from smiles and handshakes and happy songs about Jesus. But it's real. And if you've ever walked through a winter of the soul, you know it to be true. That it quite accurately describes the experience. But what Psalm 88 does do, and passages like it, is that it gives us language to turn our heart-wrenching sorrow into a raw prayer. You see, God can handle your honesty. And when we walk through these, these seasons, sorrow wants to keep us quiet. Pain wants to render us mute. But Psalm 88 gives voice to what is most angry and what is most grief-stricken within us. It allows us to break our silence even when God seems unwilling to break His. And one of the ways that it does this is by describing this experience of walking through the pain that is just inevitable. And, and I love it because this, this psalm is it's no cool, like disconnected, dispassionate, religious rigmarole. Right? But it erupts with grief and with anger. Right? It's a diary of confession. It is a soliloquy of complaint from one who is racked with pain. It just pours out of heartbreak. And one of the ways that it describes what this experience is like is this terrible loneliness. Listen to the, the terminology, verses 8 and 18. So you have taken from me my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. I'm completely alone. You ever been there? This almost describes with this imagery of winter as a rejection, abandonment, uh, complete isolation. And these are the experiences of the heart of winter, of walking through pain. It isn't amazing when you're in this place how you can be surrounded by people and feel so incredibly alone. Right? Even in the midst of a crowd, even in the midst of church, you can feel unloved, unaccepted, rejected. And, and here's, here's the thing. What can actually end up happening, and what often ends up happening, is you can begin to begin or to believe the lie that it's just you. That you're the only one that feels this way. And you begin to listen to that whisper in your ear that says, look at all the happy people. They're doing great. What's wrong with you? You're completely alone in this. But nothing could be further from the truth. The, truth, the reality is that we all go through seasons like this, and the details are always different, and we experience different measures of pain. But you're not alone in this. We all walk through this very thing. And so we have to realize, we have to agree that it's okay to not be okay. 
Right? It is okay to not be okay. Whatever you do, don't isolate yourself. Right? If you're walking through this kind of a season right now, don't, don't allow that lie to cause you to push other people away. Right? On our own, we don't do well. You know, when God created, remember when, in the creation story, God creates all these different things. He says, created this and saw that it was good. He created this and saw that it was good. He created man, saw that he was alone. So that's not good. Right? We do not do well on our own. We begin to buy lies. Right? We lose grasp of reality. You can feel alone in a season like this, but don't let yourself journey alone because you don't have to. Secondly, the psalmist describes this experience as feeling not that much unlike death. Right? Death haunts, it taints, it surrounds, it threatens. And listen to the verbiage that he uses. Such vivid terms of what he's experiencing. He says, my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. Right? Winter is awful. Like There's just no way around it. This sucks. Walking through this season, which we all do, it's never easy. It's awful. Right? And winter can feel like it's never going to end. Right? It is relentless. It is grim. It is barren. And it looks like everything is dead. At least it appears that way. Right? Winter is the season when your heart is so closed up that you wonder whether it's ever going to be able to open up again. Right? It's a season where your dreams are so buried, so deep, so seized from your hands that you really doubt whether they could ever flow or flower ever again. Right? And, it, and everything is like bankrupt of pleasure and meaning in winter. Ever been there? I have. It's awful. But what I want to turn your attention to is the way that the psalmist prays. Listen to the way he prays. From the very start of the psalm, the psalmist affirms some of the most beautiful, exquisite, enduring truths about who God is. Listen to this. It says, Oh Lord, the God who saves me. Right? Verses 10 through 12 is like this steady drumbeat of God's attributes. His wonders, His love, His righteousness, His faithfulness. Right? There's nothing shaky or vague about what this guy knows to be true about God. But the shocking reality is that what he knows to be true of God and what he's experiencing in this moment are worlds apart. Right? His theology and his reality that he's experiencing are irreconcilable. They're in different worlds. And yet he prays, and he prays. And it tells us that day and night, he prays anyway. He calls out, we're told he spreads his hands to heaven, despite the pain and suffering, despite the disappointment with God, despite all of his expectations falling short. He affirms the things that he knows to be true of God, not what he is feeling or experiencing in this season. And this is, this is what the winter time is like. And you get this. This winter of the heart is this season where we pray about what we know to be true of God and not what we see. It's where we pray what we know, where we affirm to God and to ourselves that this is true of God. And even though I don't see it right now and I'm not experiencing it right now, I know this to be true, that God, you are worthy to be worshipped. And that that is the richest form of worship. Right? I love Sunday mornings when 
it's positive and it's upbeat and life is going great and I'm swept up in just the warm emotion of it all, but that is not the richest worship. The richest worship are those moments when everything is falling apart. When life is hard, when you don't see how good God is and you doubt His very character and yet in that moment, affirming God, I don't see you, I don't taste you, I don't feel you, you are not close, you don't feel close, my world is falling apart, you have fallen short of my expectations, and yet I will praise you still, I'm still your son, I'm still your daughter, you are worthy to be praised. It's the richest form of worship. And something starts to happen when we do it, and you don't get to see it at first. But something begins to happen. Something begins to grow within us. If there's anybody who experienced this sort of thing, other than Jesus, is the Apostle Paul. And Paul, I think, went through a number of kind of Psalm 88 experiences where he was just alone and hurting and suffering. And he describes one of those experiences to us in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And listen to what he says. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despised even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But then look at what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. But... But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope, that he will continue to deliver us. Very few things appear to grow in winter, but there is one thing that does when we embrace it, when we let God do his work in this season. And it grows so magnificently. And that is our faith. And if you don't believe me, ask anybody in this room who's been on this journey for any length of period of time. And they will tell you, in looking back on their life, that some of the seasons when they grew the most were the hardest seasons. When there was the most suffering. There is just something about seasons of pain and suffering that grows in us in ways that Other seasons simply cannot. There's something about pain and suffering that allows us to grow in these ways that makes winter just the ultimate cultivation of biblical faith. It is in this season where we nurture this certainty, this certainty of things hoped for and insurance of things not tasted, not touched, not seen, not experienced. But the certainty of things hoped for and assurance of things what? Unseen. Unseen. You don't always see the fruit of winter right away. But when you own it, when you embrace it, it's there. If you're in one of those seasons, don't allow the winter to make the soil of your heart hard. But let God prepare it for the harvest that is to come is to come. Listen, if you're going through one of these seasons right now, if I could encourage you in any way, challenge you in any way, it'd be this. Alright, one, uh, don't ignore the pain. But instead, face it honestly. Don't ignore the pain. Face it honestly. Embrace it. 
it is okay to not be okay. Right? If you walked in here this morning and you thought at any point in time that while wow, these people have their stuff together, you are clearly mistaken. All right? The church is not a place for people who only have their stuff together, nor is it a place to pretend like you do. Right? It's a place where you can be real. It's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to pray like you're not okay. God can handle your honesty, and that's one of the beautiful things about Psalm 88 and the many other psalms that are like it. It's like God can handle your doubts, your anger, your grief, but you've got to be honest about it and own it. You've got to be honest about it and own it. And the beautiful thing about it, about it right, is that Jesus himself knows what it's like to suffer, right? More than any of us will suffer. Right? We do not worship a God that is disconnected from reality, or from us for that matter but a God who has entered in the worst pain and suffering of the human experience and who waits for us there. So don't ignore it. Two, uh, instead of blaming, uh, choose to trust God. This is hard, but it's a choice, and it's something you have to choose. Even when you don't see it, taste it, even when you're disappointed and angry. Listen to what Proverbs 3, 5 6 says. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? On your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. All right? Pray according to what you know to be true about God and not what you're just experiencing in this season. Instead of blaming, choose to trust God. And then lastly, third, instead of withdrawing, share the pain. Instead of withdrawing, share the pain. You know, one of the coolest things that I've gotten to watch over the last week with uh, Darren and Jamie is just this church be the church and, and to come alongside them and just be present and, and to love them and to be there for them. And it's been such a cool thing to watch. I love watching the church be the church. But for most of us, though, when we go through this season, a little winter of the soul, it's, it's oftentimes not initiated by something that's so public something so clearly beckoning help, right? For most of us, we walk, sometimes we stumble into these seasons and we don't even know why. There's no clear reason why. And so we don't get to experience what the church is meant to be. We don't get to experience what it's like to share the pain, share the load, to invite other people into our pain. And the irony of this is that I think most people, especially when it comes to the church, want to help. In fact, I'd be willing to bet there are people in your life that want to help, but nobody wants to ask for help. No one wants to need help. Right? Maybe part of it is just the North American gung-ho-ism, frontier land, pick yourself up at the bootstraps, it'll be okay, I can handle this by myself mentality. But it's not what we are created for. Listen to this, uh, Galatians 6.2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You're you're not meant to do this alone. So invite people into your pain. I'm giving you permission. (laughs) Not that you need it. But invite people into the pain. Share the pain. And then last, you already know this, but I'll just say this out loud because it needs to be said. We all know that life just sucks sometimes. That there are seasons where we hurt. Where we suffer. Do we hurt? Yes. Do we suffer? Yes. But we do not hurt and suffer as a people without hope. We do not hurt and suffer as a people who do not know God. 
but as a people who have the greatest hope. Right? Who serves a God who will be back, who is returning, and who will wipe every tear from their eye. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering, no more death. That is the hope that we have, and that is the God that we serve. Worship band, you guys can come back up. Here's what we're going to do to close this out. Um, We're going to enter into a time of worship and prayer. And uh, what we want to do, and we don't do this very often. I know some churches do this like every week, and that's totally cool. We just don't. Um, But we want to be available uh, to pray with those who desire that and would like somebody to pray with them and pray for them. Um, And so this is a great first step in sharing that pain. If you're going through something, if you're revisiting something that you went through in the past year and you never dealt with it, and you could use someone to love on you and pray for you, we would love to do that. So the band is going to play. First song, you're not going to know, but it's awesome. Um, And we're going to sing a couple songs together. And during this time, uh, I just want to invite you, there's going to be some of us standing in the back. Um, We're not going to point fingers and tweet, oh my goodness, look who went for prayer. They must be screwed up. All right, we're just going to operate with the assumption that we're all screwed up, that we could all use prayer in some area. Some of us are just going to be a little bit more open and honest than others about that. And we would love to pray for you if that's something that you desire. So that being said, if you would, if you'd stand, and we're going to enter in time of prayer and worship.